If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is The Art of Awesome, episode number 74. And I got to go to the gym, and I got to run for two hours, and I got to cycle, and I got to do ski erg, and I got to do the cardio. I don't love that stuff. I don't love it. So I love riding. Those are a portion of the training that I have to do to compete and win and just maintain and to continue to win races. And I understand that's a part of it. But the true love of it is actually just getting on my bike on two wheels and riding. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to The Art of Awesome. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. Today is Monday, so we have another phenomenal interview uh, and deep dive with just an incredible guest that I got to speak with, Colton Haker. Colton is a three-time super enduro champion four-time national champion, three-time X game medalist. I mean, this guy has really done it all on anything with two wheels and a motor. But Colton shares with us beyond just his motorsports career and accomplishments, we also really dive deep into the mentality of becoming a champion, the mentality of competing, and how it differed over the years. And as success grew, so did the pressures that come with it. So really cool deep dive interview. And we also kind of learn about how life has changed for him after the birth of his daughter, um, as well as kind of how he is looking into the future and getting into some real estate assets and different things like that. Very, very cool interview. And I was just stoked because Colton and I have so many different things in common that it was a really fun conversation for me to have and also very uh, knowledgeable as, as he shares so much experience and advice that I learned a lot as well. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it and very much excited to share it with you. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Here is Colton Haker. Colton, thanks so much for joining me here on The Art of Awesome. Stoked to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I know we uh, we met 
a while back in Bentonville, Arkansas for some mountain bike riding. And uh, we kind of hit it off. We had some similar interests and some similar stories. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk, talk about it here and get other people to uh, kind of have an understanding of where we're at. Yeah, so we, we, exactly what you're saying. We we kind of met in Bentonville. We were biking with the uh, with the All Star crew, and that was super awesome. But you're you've got like a, a different kind of version of that. You're actually like three time world super enduro champion, four time national enduro champion, uh, three time X Games uh, medalist, and. You, I mean, you've got, you've done so much stuff, professional athlete, you've done this whole vlogging uh, side, um, and now you're a family man with, uh, with the birth of your daughter uh, a couple of years back. But how did you kind of like, how does, like, we, we obviously met on bikes and stuff like that, but how did you get into becoming an enduro champion? Where, where does that even start? Do you like, do you start in moto and get into that? Because you've got like a history from what I've seen anyway, of, of like trials, moto, enduro, kind of everything. And then all obviously, you know, just mountain bikes too. So how does it all kind of start for you? Where was it when you were a kid or, or kind of give us a, a brief history, I guess. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, man. I mean, dirt bikes, bikes, two wheels in general have been my life. Um, so my dad was, a um, ISD is the international six days enduro, uh, in the eighties, he uh, completed that race three times with uh, three medals. And back then that was like, um, that was like a really big deal. All the countries in the world competed. And um, basically to finish that race back then, um, you basically had to be as good a mechanic as you were a rider um, because the bikes weren't that great, right? And um, so his passion is deep in motorcycles. And obviously he shared that passion with me. I just got brought up around motorcycles and um and dirt bikes so i kind of got drug around my whole uh my whole upbringing kind of riding with him getting taught by him and that was our that was our big like bonding was motorcycles and two wheels and um you know we did the family thing on camping trips we met with other families and rode with them and you know he took me all over from idaho to southern california to the desert to riding in the snow i mean there's stories of me trying to chase him and his buddies on a small bike and just completely having conniptions crying in the snow after 30 miles and just having just what was it seemed like i was i was just running out of energy you know i was just a kid i was like 13 years old type stuff so i just turned that passion into really like wanting to be a professional and at a certain point um probably by the time I was like 16, 17 years old. Um, you know, obviously I was doing the regular home. I was doing regular high school. I was doing all that. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting in math class and I'm watching these math equations and I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And I'm like, when the heck am I ever going to use this? <laughs> and and I'm, like, I'm like, I'm thinking about dirt bikes and how I want to do that. And at 17 years old, I'm pretty much, in my mind, I'm all in. Um, I graduate high school. Um, I start racing, um, this series called Enduro cross that kind of just came out, which was a big mix of basically you ride, um, over rocks and logs and water and all these outdoor elements they bring indoors for people to sit in the stands, drink a beer and watch. So it's like super cross, but with rocks and logs and trees and sand and water. And like, it's a little bit of mayhem, right? So because of my background growing up, 
uh, kind of riding everything. Like my dad took me all over, riding all over the place. I got exposed to a lot of different places and a lot of different stuff. And then just that passion of wanting to get better and better. This enduro cross was like a really good niche for me. So at 17 years old, um, I kind of raced my, my first one and at 17 had really good success. I had a podium, my second race, um, was kind of like a bit of a, a bit of a phenom in it. And, um, so I just kind of, you know, went, went down that rabbit hole and kept, kept chasing it. So I got a sponsor and then I got another sponsor and, um, yeah, just kind of kept rolling with it until years later it took me a long time to figure out how to race a motorcycle professionally and, and, and win and be a champion took me, um, took me almost eight, eight years of racing it to become a champion. So, um, and then once I became a champion, I just kept, kept going. Like I just didn't, I didn't let that feeling go really. Um, and since then I basically competed in, um, uh, nine championships and I won seven out of nine. Wow. So yeah, it was a long road to get there, but once I kind of got the, once I got it, it was just like, I, I just could, I didn't let it go. And I just kind of kept winning and everybody else, um, you know, just kind of, they, they, they were all close. We were all battling really close and it was tough, but I just managed to be able to squeak out, um, championship after championship. So, um, little things, um, uh, I like to say up here, make, uh, make the difference. We are all capable. We're all physically capable of the same about 90 five percent of it is about we're doing all the same speed the same stuff we're separated by milliseconds around a track but how you process it um and what you need in that moment i believe comes from uh that last five percent which is only obtainable in upstairs and uh yeah no i so, I, uh, I totally agree with that and and it's something that i i almost feel like comes with more experience like when i was younger and, and cause I've had a lot of, we've got a similar story, but totally different paths in, in the sense of different sports and stuff. But, but just hearing you kind of talk about your high school and all that stuff, it, it brings back so many memories. Cause I was that same, you know, student that was just like addicted to my sport and just all I would think and, and dream about was, was paddling and kayaking. But, um, when I was younger, I would think that it was like 50, 50 in the sense that it was like 50% athletics and technique and 50% mental. Um, in, 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 as far as like competing and stuff like that. And as I've gotten older and, and gained more experience, I agree that it's more like 95% mental. Do you know what I mean? Cause like you go to the world championships and definitely the top 10, probably the top 20 guys could win it. You know what I mean? Like they're all like, it's so tight and, and the capabilities of everybody we all know a lot of the, you know, the same tricks and whatever, maybe some people have different specialties and stuff like that, but everybody is extremely talented. It really just comes down to that mentality of, you know, I guess the mentality of a champion and, and can you pull it all together in that brief moment? Um, yeah. Is that the same where you were like in those eight years of you saying like from, you know, you got your, your first medal or podium, on your second race ever. And then it was eight years till you won a championships. Would you say it's that eight years of gaining almost that experience of the, the mental game or, or kind of where yeah, do you, man. I literally, like you said, it was, you thought it was 50, 50, maybe. I mean, dude, I thought it was like 
pretty much 99% physical, you know, like I didn't realize there was any mental really part of it. And I, 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 that wasn't at at all. So I was pure, I was pure like talent. I was pure skill. I was pure speed. Um, and that's all I really worked on. Right. As a kid growing up. So at 17 years old, I came out, um, with no expectation. And when there was no expectation, I was able to perform at, a my best. Right. And I was able to, to produce results right away because I had the skill, I had the speed, I had the, the talent. But then as soon as you attach expectation to that results, all of a sudden that turns from a physical to a mental because expectation is in your mind. So once expectation became a thing, now I'm struggling to understand, um, you know, how to perform that same result with letting go of the expectation, which I didn't understand, I wanted it so badly. It came so easily at first. And then I'm like, I can't get it now. I can't get it. It's not happening. It's I'm not getting that that win. I'm messing up. I'm having moments of of lapse, whatever's going on. And it took me um, quite a few years because, you know, the other guys are all extremely talented and competitive and want to win too, right? So you think on the outside looking in, you're like, dude, you've got you know, a third in your first, your second race. And then it took you eight years to win a title. You know, I want to champion. I want to race within, um, four years of that. And then it was three or four years later that I won a title. So it's kind of like, dude, there's other guys that are trying to win. So on the outside looking in, you're like, how could it take you that long when you were that close already? But when you have 20, 15 other dudes, you know, not only, trying to win but also getting in the way it's like it's not it's not easy it takes a long time and it takes a lot of uh um yeah it takes a lot of mistakes and a lot of getting over those mistakes um and then processing it all through so i would say in the beginning yeah dude i it just took me that long to figure it out I see it a lot with with young athletes and exactly just like how you explained it where the young athletes, you know, just totally obsessed with their sport, addicted and they become really good and talented and they've got that, you know, I don't know if it's an innate skill or if it's just an obsession and that's all they're thinking about and dreaming about and whatever and so they get really good because they're processing it in their mind a ton. And then they get some good results. But then with after like after that good result, then they start getting then there's that expectation. And with that expectation is where the mentality of competing, I find, really starts to kick in because you have to battle that expectation. And again, I see it sometimes where I've seen just like phenomenal athletes do really, really well, have a couple bad events or maybe even like a, a year or two of just bad, you know, results. And then they just give up on it. They're just like, whatever, I'm done. I'm done competing. Um, yeah. and, and you kind of like, <clears throat> you, you did a documentary, um, called rare exception. I actually just finished watching it this morning. Really well done. Nice. Um, but within that, you, you've kind of, you talk about it a little bit yourself where you've got, you know, those amazing results and then you've got a couple bad or at least a, a season where you start making way more mistakes than in the past. And I would say a lot of that probably has to do with that expectation of like, well, now you're considered, you know, a champion. Now you've got all this expectation where people expect you to win. And then on top of it, do you find that you ever get um, additional pressure once you start getting sponsored and, and then like, you know, people are start 
whether they're paying you or they're just giving you gear or anything like that, but they expect results then too. Uh, did you find that sponsorships yeah. on top of that kind of just Man. like put more pressure for, for me, it was pretty wild because I, um, I left home at 18. Um, so pretty much straight out of high school and I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, I'm going all in on racing and I'm, I'm going to make this happen. Um, by the time I'm 19 years old, I'm paying my own bills. I'm trying to maintain, a you know, paying a rent. I'm dealing with roommates. Um, I'm doing my own laundry. I'm cooking for myself. Um, I became an adult real quick and trying to understand that at the same time as trying to like be a professional athlete when it's really not there yet. Like I'm not yet established. Yes. I've had a result. I've had a couple of good results. I have a sponsor. Now that sponsor has expectations for me to perform yet. Now I'm this kid really who's taking on kind of the world at this point. Right. I'm, I'm trying to learn what, who I am as an adult, as well as trying to figure out how to continue this ride, right. Continue this, this chase of being a, a, a champion and, uh, and an athlete and maintain that. And so I think there was a whirlwind of that going on at a young age that also stunted a little bit of that getting straight to the, the race wins or the championships, um, as early as they would have. Um, I think you can't look back and say if I stayed home or if I did this or that, but ultimately it made me who I am now. And I appreciate, um, all that I went through. Right. And I stuck it out. I didn't give up, kept moving forward. And, um, yeah, you just, uh, you take those hits and you, uh, you roll with them and then you just, uh, as long as you, you stay true to yourself and passionate, like if you truly love something, I don't think that anything can stop you with either that, that love is deep inside you. And that was, that was me, man. I was just hundred percent, um, wasn't going to let it go. I would, like I said, by the time I was 17 years old, I was all in, there was no other option, you know? So even though there were sponsors with expectations, um, and I was learning how to be an adult and I wasn't established, there was no, there was no other option in my mind, you know, there was no other, I'm not doing this or it's not going to happen or, um, or whatever. So you just kind of keep rolling. And, uh, I got those sponsors and then I just kept having those little results, maintaining the sponsorship, um, relationships. And then eventually, you know, it, it panned out. So that's amazing. So you, you, I mean, during this whole career, you, you've done amazing things. You've won all these titles, but you also created this amazing following with, with YouTube and, and these vlogs that you were doing about just your everyday life, your traveling, your competing, all this stuff. As a young athlete now that's kind of getting into, whether they're getting into motorsports or whether they're just, you know, whatever sport that they're into, would you advise them kind of following the path that you did or, or what do you think might be the best path forward for, for a young athlete? Like is social media is vlogging is pursuing sponsorships the way to go? Or do you think it's all about, you know, um, working on your craft and building up that technique before kind of pursuing the other directions? Ultimately for anybody, I think, like I said earlier, you, you have to have a true love for whatever you're doing and that will make you um regardless of 
whether it's working or it's not, or you're winning, or you're not, you still love what you're doing. So you're going to stick with it. And in knowing that you love that, you might need to have a better sponsorship relationship. You might need to, um, you might need to have ultimately be, be closer to the social media or building a brand, or there might be little, little things, but at the end of the day, as long as you're passionate, truly passionate about what you're doing, um, none of those, like, those are just little things along the way. Right. right. So you can build a brand, but if it's not true to yourself, you won't stick with it. Right. For me, like, I've just been, I just love motorcycles. I love two wheels. I, I mean, I wake up every day wanting to ride my motorcycle. I wake up every day also having this training regiment that my trainer sends me and I got to go to the gym and I got to run for two hours and I got to cycle and I got to do the ski erg and I got to do the cardio. I don't love that stuff. I don't love it. So I love riding. Those are a portion of the training that I have to do to compete and win and just maintain and to continue to win races. And I understand that's a part of it. But the true love of it is actually just getting on my bike on two wheels and riding and in the woods or in the desert or with my buddies or working on my craft to be better at riding two wheels. Like I've been obsessed with getting better at the very essence of riding two wheels. You know what I mean? So um, that's pushed me to be better at every facet of riding a motorcycle, you know, from motocross to enduro to trial uh, whatever it may be, I'm just um, passionate about that. Passionate about that. So, yes, I've done some vlogs. Um, I've built a good following, a good brand, and all that stuff. Um, but I always resort back to just um, the very essence of riding two wheels and riding dirt bikes. Um, nothing takes my brain away from everything else in the world going on than that. Quite the same. So. That's awesome. So essentially for any, any young athlete out there, the passion always is first. You need to have that passion and that drive. And, and I find it too, that people look at, you know, someone like you and they're like, Oh wow, he's so successful. He's won all these titles. Like that's what I want. But people don't always see that hard work in those days of like, you know, I'm sure there's been rough times along the way. Like what you were saying, even when you were young and yeah. 19 and leaving the house to go be a professional motorsports racer, uh, an athlete. Yeah. You're trying to figure out how to be an adult. You're trying to figure out how to wash your own clothes and, and, you know, pay rent and d different things like that. Like life isn't always what that end result that people see. There's, there's that hard time that kind of builds the character and the person who becomes that champion. Yeah. You've seen the, you've seen the things on Instagram or whatever, and they're like successes up here, you know, at the top and you see yourself going like a straight line to it. Right. But it's never that it's like, you start in the middle maybe and then you drop below <laughs> where you start and then you're like go back up and then back down and back up back up and then you know and then it's eventually you can get there but it's not without a bunch of stuff getting in the way and a bunch of stuff they're trying to figure out along the way but it comes back to the original thing if that passion is truly within inside you those little things those those things those things that drop you down might might tear you up and you might lose some faith of getting to that ultimate goal or whatever but as long as you're truly passionate about it you're going to you're going to stick with it you're just going to keep you're going to keep rolling you're going to keep going to yeah. get those things so um yeah it's I, it's important for every, for all these for all these up and coming kids i mean instagram wasn't even a thing when i was 
coming up, you know, um, it's fairly new, right. To all of us in this brand and the social media world. And, um, I mean, I think it's important for, for kids to, it's, it can be helpful to have a brand, but ultimately, um, I think sponsors, you know, they want, um, somebody to fill a void in their, whatever it is that they need done, right. Whether it's rockstar that I ride for or Husqvarna, the motorcycle brands, you know, Husqvarna wants me to win races because that sells motorcycles. If I get a million views on a video, they don't classify, classify the same as me just winning a race. They would rather me win a race. They can say that that's worth X amount, that sells motorcycles, and that is what your job is. That's what, you know, your position is at this company. We have other people to promote our motorcycle on social media. Yes, you are a part of that, but we pay you to win races. That person that that is paid to do the social media, they can't do what you do. They can't win a race, right? You're the guy. You're the guy supposed to win the race. So you start out as a, I start out as a racer. This Instagram thing comes up. You start getting involved in that. I'm vlogging, but at the end of the day, um, the sponsors that I have, they want me to to do what exactly what I'm paid to do, which is go out there, promote the motorcycle by winning races against other motorcycle manufacturer brands. Yeah. And I think it comes back to, and it speaks to your just competitive nature of that's why you got into the sport and why you got to where you are right now. Like maybe for somebody else who is that, you know, YouTuber, social media person, whatever, maybe that's their authentic self where, where they're just trying to like, you know, create content or have fun or do whatever they're doing. I think it also comes down to that. Like a lot of sponsors out there want you to be authentic and, and people kind of throw that word around a lot, but everyone has their own like authentic version of, of what they are, who they are. And if you're just, if you just be you, um, you'll, you'll find a way to provide value in, in some sort of way possible. I think. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And like I said, there's, there's a, there's a portion of each of one of these companies that need a, that type of person, right? They need the guy that's going to win the race. They need the guy that's going to promote it on their social media. They need, um, yeah, all those things. So there's a void to be filled on any one of these sponsors or in chasing those things. So, um, that's a, yeah, super valid point. Yeah. So another, another thing that I just wanted to ask about, um, just because you and I have so many things in common and, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it. I was always told, you know, after I became a parent, a, a father, that um, the way I perceive risk and, and what I would be doing, we like running class five, you know, rapids or waterfalls, people are like, oh, you're going to stop doing that. You do these massive, I don't even know how big jumps, like 100 foot jumps, massive stuff, backflips off cliffs and all sorts of crazy stuff on these motorbikes. I'm sure people probably told you something similar where like, oh, once you become a parent, you're going to stop doing, you know, so-called crazy stuff. How has like your perception of risk or danger changed um, since becoming a parent? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, they are, they are pretty much right <laughs> for me. Um, I, uh, you're right. Then you know, I've done three sixties on motorcycles, backflips. I was really pushing the envelope for, um, like I said, I love riding motorcycles and pursuing getting better. So I like every form of it. So if I want to learn how to backflip, then I'm going to learn how to backflip and I'm going to do it. So 
so I started, you know, getting into more of that stuff as well. And in the end of the day, um, once I became a, a parent and whatnot, um, trying to manage the risk was become important and also putting my efforts into things that are definitely going to pay off were important. So, um, in me doing backflips and three sixties, they're great for the, the Instagram, the Instagram and the, the clout that the kids call it. Um, but at the end of the day, my, uh, my sponsors, my job, like I said, is to win races and, uh, doing three sixties doesn't necessarily win races. So, um, I think once I had my daughter, um, I started to check up a little bit on that stuff, started to get really buckled down to the, the bare bones of uh, how am I going to maintain this, this career? How am I going to provide for the family? What are those things that, what is a combination of those things that's going to be the best for us, right? Um, and not only that, I also moved um, when I had my daughter I moved from Southern California, which I wasn't originally from Southern California, but I was from a small town in Northern California. And I grew up in an area where I could ride my BMX bike downtown and feel safe. My parents let me do stuff and that whole thing was all good. And it wasn't a congested area by any means. Pretty much everyone not necessarily knew each other, but you knew of someone that would know the next person, essentially small town living. Yep. So um, didn't like what I was seeing in Southern California. So then because of that, I also moved out of state. I moved to Idaho into a smaller town here where I felt like um, it was more form family oriented. Um, so it was like a bit of a, a shift in my career as well um, in moving here, different terrain, different weather, um, even different types of types of riding. You know, I'm riding in the forest now where before I was riding in the desert. Um, I was focused more on the indoor enduro cross racing in, in Southern California over the last seven, eight, nine years. Like I said, that's how I've become a champion. And now I'm focusing, focusing more on these outdoor endurance races that are like tough mutters on dirt bikes where um, they're like three, four hours someday. Some, some are rally races where they're four days long. Wow. So I'm focusing on more of the endurance style, which is a little bit less risk, um, but it's more based on your ability to physically you have to be um have the endurance like a marathon runner versus a sprinter right and the indoor stuff it was more like sprinting there were eight minutes 10 minutes 12 minute races to these are now hours long right so um i'm spending more time in in that area and in moving here I'm, i can focus on those things it's also being able to change my career from um chasing the same goals, right? I've won these championships in the indoors. I've kind of accomplished everything that is, um, I can go do it again, right? I could go win it again. I could tr continue to move down that, but eventually that's going to feel, it already does feel, you know, like, okay, yeah, I did that type thing, right? What's next, right? We need to keep evolving as people. So this racing over here, this uh, outdoor endurance racing, I've uh, actually, done a few of them but i struggled more so because i was focused on short sprints so um you know there's been chatter that i'm not capable that i can't you know that colton's not going to be able to do it um he's not he's not that type of rider he blah 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 i, I like that stuff and you know, i hear it you know and i i take mental notes you know uh 
of little things. And I remember when people say things. So, um, yeah. And I've been, uh, just quietly doing my thing and focusing on that. And, um, we have about 10 races this year, 12 races of those this year. So I'm looking to make a, an impact in that type of racing this year and moving forward. So kind of a five-year plan for me is, uh, is those outdoor races and, 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 uh, changing those people's opinion for sure. I, I love that. And I love how you're mentioning how we need to continue to adapt and evolve as, as just individuals. And I, and I totally agree with that. Um, Another thing that we we were talking about briefly in Bentonville when we were riding together was and and you kind of mentioned a little bit about how you're, you know, creating this career as an athlete and and trying to support your family and and your daughter now. But we we kind of got into conversations about real estate. Uh and that's something yeah. that that I've talked about a, a fair amount as well on on the podcast too, but um can you just kind of briefly give me a little bit of like how and why you got into real estate investing and what you're doing with that now? Yeah. So, um, dirt bikes yet again, here we go. So at in 2012, the bottom of the real estate market, um, I am on the brink of maybe this not happening for me. I won one race in uh, 2012 and then I had a, a buttload of expectations that just led me to not having any good results the rest of the year. And, um, I've come to the determination that I need to be able to have a practice track, have my own facility, have my training grounds so that I can really buckle down and focus. So I'm looking for a property in Southern California and, uh, I'm looking for that training ground. And, um, I find this property five acres and I talked my dad into kind of going into it with me and he's nervous, right? It's 2012. It's four years ish after, you know, the great recession and, um, the, the great housing crash. And so he's obviously a little bit nervous. It's in a, it's slightly nerve wracking area. It's end of a dirt road. There's some breaking bad motor homes on the street. It's, you know, as a 50 year old adult who's, you know, trying to definitely mi mitigate his risk. He's like, ah, not really feeling it, but I talk him into it. So we end up buying this property. I am I'm able to build the facility, do the, start focusing on the craft, start winning races, start winning championships over the next um, three, four years. And um, we obviously see the housing prices are increasing. Um, the value of the property is increasing. And, um, at the end of it all, I'm looking at this career and I've won these races. I've won these championships and I'm starting to think about, right. I have my daughter at the support and I'm starting to think about if these last four years have been amazing. I've won, like I said, seven out of nine titles in those five years. And I'm like, if these are my best years, are these, if these are my most income producing years that I'll ever have, this is not, a, this is, I'm, this is not sustainable. This is not good. And I, I can, won't be able to number one, either I'm not going to be able to continue winning at this level for, for forever. Right. Or for another five years, even that would be tough, right. To maintain for 10 years of winning is the decade of winning in any sport is nearly unheard of 
Okay. So I'm thinking over here, I'm like, what am I going to, what am I going to do or how am I going to sustain or, or build uh, wealth in the next, next five years? Okay. I can continue racing a motorcycle. I might not have as many championships or I might not make as much money as I did. Um, what can I do? Well, I'm looking at this house that I, that we purchased in 2012 um, that I, I ended up purchasing from my dad like a year later. So I own this house. It's doubled in value. Um, it's produced a bunch of race wins and championships for me. And I decided that I'm, I'm searching for what could be next. And I'm looking at this house going, well, this thing just doubled in value and it, and it, and it produced a bunch of what I wanted in the meantime. Well, let's look into this a little more. So I start researching. I find rich dad, poor dad. I, I read that book in a day and it's like the light bulb just goes off. You know, cause I'm staring at this house. That's, that's doubled in value. I read rich dad, poor dad, which teaches me about like the value in real estate and real estate investing and taxes and all this stuff that I've been dealing with. And I'm like, um, man, I actually also had a house in Idaho that I bought in 16, um, for like a summer house that I wanted to come up here. It's really nice here in the summer. Um, that I wanted to get up and ride up here in the forest and, and start doing that stuff. And, um, I also saw that appreciate. So I was renting that already in 2017, 18, 19. So I already saw the value in owning a piece of real estate, renting it. And, um, I just jumped all in yet again, here we are, um, 13 years later, after, you know, 17 years old, I'm all in on motorcycles. I'm all in on dirt bikes. There's nothing that's changed my mind. And then 13 years later at 30 years old, um, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm like, I'm kind of all in. I'm like, I found a passion. I found a love. I'm like, ah, I really like this. I'm into it. Rich dad, poor, poor dad sparked that interest. I start researching more and more and I'm, I'm dead set on, on accomplishing it or, or going for those things and building a financially free, you know, future for myself and my family. Um, Cause dirt bikes aren't going to last forever. Like I said, you know, you got five of your best producing years. You're going to be 31 years old. You're people would already say that's on the downward slope of a, of a professional athlete career. Um, you can't really disagree with it, you know? And, um, you're looking at, okay, if I could produce another five years also, how could I re maybe replace my motorcycle income with real estate passive income, right? So I'm still making money. I'm still producing income, but if I can start over the next five years, replacing that with passive income with rental properties, um, and just kind of diversifying myself or, or, um, a, giving myself the ability to understand that realm, then in five more years, I could actually see myself um, retiring with with a good future, right? Because uh, I ain't gonna get a pension or a 401k really from racing a motorcycle. I'm not a fireman or a police officer, or you know, whatever those, you know, government's type job would be. So uh, yeah, so we jumped in, I sold in Southern California um, in 2019. And I said, okay, I'm going to take this money, this house, my dream house, my, the thing that's produced all these championships for me, you know, thank you. You've done 
you've done so much for me in, in my life. Now I'm going to use the very last bit of you and I'm going to sell, I'm going to sell you off and I'm going to use that equity, that money that I made off of it. And I'm going to reinvest it into assets and, and properties that produce income and get, start building that financial future. So that's what I did in 2019. Um, I sold it and then we moved to Idaho. Um, my next goal was to buy a house that, um, that my family could live in and we could actually produce income off of as well. So I went with a house hacking strategy. Um, I bought a four bed, two bath. It's a two bed, one bath upstairs, a two bed, one bath in the basement. And I separated it. Um, you know, I put up a wall uh, in between the stairwells and I set made up its own separate entrance for the basement and I furnished it and I started renting it. And that rent started paying for my mortgage uh, to live basically free um, in the upstairs. So I've been doing that for about six months now. And um, in the meantime, I also purchased a couple of other properties that have produced income and, and cash flow. And I'm starting to build that long-term financial freedom and future. And uh, I also have a, a goal for, you know, racing, you know, at least a five-year plan for that um, to continue to maintain um, what I can and try to continue to win races and stay in passion and love with racing motorcycles and riding them. And I'm hoping by the end of the five to, you know, 10 years, if, if I can continue having that same drive and passion, um, then I'll hopefully have built enough of a nest egg that I'm financially basically, you know, free and don't have to get a, a nine to five job. That's it's so, so it's so awesome. And just cause I, I find your story so similar to mine and, and our mentalities are so similar and, and I'm very much doing a, a similar program where yeah, just trying to save as much money as I can to buy, you know, cash producing assets. <clears throat> but the, the, the whole goal here isn't to like stop kayaking. It's like, it's not, and, and I'm sure it's the same with you. It's not to stop racing motorcycles. It's so that in it's to prolong it, exactly, it's to prolong it. exactly it's to give you the ability to continue to do it without having to feel like I have to do it. Right. right. I can keep doing this and I can do it as long as I want passionately. And if that passion eventually goes away, I won't sit here be holding the, the ball with nothing left. Right. And I, I'll actually, you know, maybe have discovered a new passion in that amount of time as well. But it gives you prolongs your career because I can be like, not so dependent on my sponsor to make sure that I have a job. And I don't have to be so worried about like, oh, if I get injured, God forbid, I get injured anyways. But if I, if I did, I'm not so attached to the payment or the results or the bonuses or whatever it is that I'm not going to get while I'm injured. So it takes a bit of the pressure off and allows me to focus on just the love of doing it again. No, I, I couldn't agree more. That's it's so true. And, and I, this is what I tell people too. It's, it's not, again, just like what you said, it's not that I'm transferring from one 
thing to another. It's just like, no, I'm, I'm doing this so that in 20, 30 years time, if I still want to kayak every day, or if you still want to ride motorcycles every day, you now can. And it's not that like you have to switch to, to go to a nine to five job. It's like, no, I created this along the way as like this, I don't know if you want to call it a side hustler or whatever you want to call it, but, but just another stream of income that can fulfill and that lifestyle that you want to continue on. So I couldn't agree more. I also highly recommend Rich Dad, Poor Dad for anybody who hasn't read it. Uh, yeah, it's for this, anybody. Yeah, the same thing where for me, like I read it and it was such a light bulb. And, and you hear so many people that get into real estate the same say the same thing where they're like, I just didn't realize. Like the, the, the there's just so many, I don't know. It, it, anybody who hasn't read it, just go read it because I, I don't want to just like brag on it too much. And, and I want to be cautious of our time together, Colton, because... Um, very much uh, just appreciative of your your time with us today. So I'm going to move us on to the next segment of our show that I call the fire round. And I'm just going to fire a couple quick questions at you. Colton, do you have a favorite quote that you live by? Um, Man, there's a lot. There's a lot of them. My dad actually used to, um, <laughs> when I was, when I was real young, nine, 10, 11 years old, he used to, print out um quotes and put you know on a piece of paper and then he put it on the on the wall in my room and it was uh maybe like 12 15 quotes and he'd come with new ones every other couple months and he'd, he'd take that paper down and put up another one so i kind of grew up with with they were they were he quoted them words to live by and uh it. they'd be like filled with like 15 different quotes on there um stuff like be nice to the the smartest kid in school because he could potentially, you know, be your boss one day or, or the dorky kid in school, or, um, you know, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, it's kind of right now, I guess, uh, I'm having a hard time coming up with, with the, with the perfect quote for that, but, Give, give me give me a little bit. I might come back to it. No no worries. And I, I also just love that idea as as a father now myself that that I am, you know, big on quotes and, and get a lot of inspiration and, and motivation out of them. But I've never thought about posting them on my kids' walls. And so I, I think I'm actually gonna maybe take that from your father and, and start putting quotes on, you know, whether it's the the door to their room or something like that, but just start posting more quotes for them to read. I think that's a great idea. Um, and I'm definitely yeah, it just gonna... gives them like a perspective, right? 100%. Like uh, overall perspective without even having to like say it to them. It's just on, on their wall and, and it makes them think a little bit because usually quotes are pretty, um, what would be the word? They're like, uh, crypt, not cryptic, but kind of telling in a way, right? If you read between the lines, a lot of quotes, then you can understand it. But if you just read it, you wouldn't really, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. And, and it I makes kids think. Yeah, I, I like that. It makes them think. And and again, as uh, I feel like sometimes when you just say something to your kids, they don't always listen. And I remember, you know, being a kid myself, kind of that same mentality, like, oh, sure, dad, whatever. But if you just like post it, you know, on the wall or on the door or whatever, and you just kind of leave it there and you let them, they're going to read it on their own time. And then, then they're kind of stopping and thinking about it without being almost like told about it, if that makes sense. I, I just think it's a, it's an interesting way to do it. I'm definitely going to try that. Um, Colton, what is a lesson that you may have learned recently 
whether through a mistake or through success? Uh, I think ultimately what I've learned is it's not exact. It's never what you think it, what it is. So whether you're going to do it, do something or not do it, or that success or that failure, you might have an idea of what it's, what it is, but it's, it's never, it's never going to maybe work out exactly how you envisioned it. So just, you're just going to do it and you're just going to make it work regardless. So I might have this thought of, for example, this, this house that I, that I live in now, you know, I, I thought that there was going to be a lot more problems and issues that came along and it, and it just, everything just worked itself out. It just worked itself out. And just because I, I went for it and I did it, it just happened to just, things just fell in place because I just went for it. I like that. And I, I think more often than not that, that kind of happens by just by taking action, by taking that leap of faith, things will fall in line in ways that you probably couldn't always imagine. Um, and I'm definitely a, a strong believer of, of doing that. Just kind of leap and, you know, figure out how to fly on the way down a little bit. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Colton, do you have a favorite book or current book that you're reading? Man, I really do like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, I haven't really, uh, I haven't really jumped into any other ones recently. The Alchemist, maybe. The Alchemist is actually one of my most favorite books of all time. Rich Dad, Poor Dad's up there too, but um, The Alchemist is just, it's an incredible way of explaining uh, with this story format. Yeah, really cool book. Yeah. Uh, I've I've got a a last one here for our fire round, and this one's always a bit of a doozy. Um, Colton, if you were to leave this earth today and everything that you've done, so all of the titles that you've won, all of your vlogs, all of your videos, uh, your documentary, everything was erased. And all mm-hmm. that you were left was a piece of paper and a pen that you could leave three truths. These three truths could be for your family, for your daughter, for uh, your fans out there, or just anybody that follows you. What would those three truths be? Um. Live in the moment. Um, don't don't worry. Um, and um, follow your passion. I love that. I love that. Talk so much about just what we be in the moment. I think for me is really key. I think there's a lot of people in this world who are uh, who are struggling with anxieties and depressions and i think it's has something to do with um living in the moment so i i want to get back to that quote see this is where it came to me now to your first question on the quote um i think it was buddha and he said if you're living if you are depressed you're living in the past if you are anxious you're living in the future um you have to live in the moment in the moment is all there is and all there ever will be. Wow. And that's where the happiness lives. So powerful. So, and I think that's a big thing, you know, when you think about your past, I was younger or this or that. It's a little bit of nostalgia maybe, but at the same time, it, there's a, there's a slight, you know, sadness to it in a way, right? Yeah. It can be happy, but it can be, de- 
a little bit depressing as well. And, and then the future, you know, I'm worried about my future or my family or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's good to be vigilant, right? A hundred percent. You need to consider the future and think about those things, but at the same time, you can't let them overrun your mind. So if you are, then you're being very anxious and being anxious is also, you know, it's anxiety. So it's not, it's not healthy. Um, so being in the moment, um, dirt bikes have been able to put me in my meditation in my moment more than anything. When I'm riding a motorcycle, there's nothing else really going on in the world. I'm so focused on hitting that mark or that, that point of that rock or a corner or, or, or accomplishing this or that, that I'll spend hours a day, basically in meditation because I'm spending hours on a motorcycle and it's the most present moment I can put myself in the most easily. Um, and that's also another reason why I really enjoy motorcycles. And I think that it's a very good outlet. And I also think that that because I'm so passionate about it, I think that more people had that passion. They would um, not just in motorcycles or whatever they do in kayaking and mountain biking and uh, rock climbing. And, and I'm, I'm naming sports, but there's a lot of other things too. But um, if they had that, they would, um, I think there'd be a lot more people in the world who um, find find a, a place that they're very content, you know, and 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 fill, fulfilled, you know, fulfilling their life. So, I think it's super important for people, and um, yeah, I, I so absolutely definitely um, live by your passion and um, be in the moment. I think those are those are massive things. Yeah, I love that. And and I love how simple that you explain it, that doing what you're passionate about, it almost is that form of meditation. And and I mean, I've talked about this a lot with, with different athletes and stuff, but I've never actually necessarily used the, the term meditation, but it truly is because you are in that complete focus. You are in that, you know, whether you call it the flow state or the zone or, or whatever complete focus, um, it really truly yeah. is that form of meditation. I love it. Yeah. So I like to also talk, talk it. I know, I know you said we were going to run or whatever, but I also like to jump on the fact that the motorcycles have been a form of meditation for me. Um, but even with having that outlet for myself, you know, I still find myself very, um, anxious. Um, I think in, in more than ever now with what we've been going on in the last year, um, man, the, the amount of people that are focused on the social media and on their side of the, of the politics or their opinion or their viewpoint, and everyone has a voice and it's very, it's, it's very convoluted out there and it's definitely divided and it's divisive, you know, there's these, uh, social medias and all this, this stuff that we have now, it's, it's kind of crazy to the point where, you want to, you want to get your point across to people, but it really means not that much, right? It's, it's not that big of a, in the big picture, it's not much, it's not that big of a deal. People should move forward. And, and I feel like I took the, a little bit of the, what's, which pill is it? The red or the blue that Neo took in matrix, but I took, I basically took the red pill, whatever, which one it was. And I went down the rabbit hole just as him, you know? And I think that was with growing up, you know, I think there's different stages in your life. So 
at one point, all I was worried about was winning a race. All I was worried about was winning a championship. And then maybe it was kids. Maybe that's what started it. But I started obviously thinking about the future. So then I start, I start this plan with the real estate and the investing. And okay, I'm going to start, you know, doing these things. And I'm moving and I'm doing this for my family. And then, and then you start going down the rabbit hole even further. And you start talking about, you know, the government, you know, printing trillions of dollars and inflating, you know, the economy. And then you start kind of going down that. And then you have, you know, the, the election year and the COVID and wearing the mask and making people losing freedoms. And there's just so many different ways that you can find yourself going down the rabbit hole that I was even with motorcycles on a, almost a daily and having that outlet, I still found myself very anxious and, and having a deep level of anxiety um, about what I'm doing, if it's good enough, if I'm doing enough for, for my family, if I'm providing, if I'm being smart enough, if I'm, you know, these questions arise. And so, man, I started even searching even further for what I could do to help myself um, in these areas. And I've never had anxiety really um, until this year, really. And um, I discovered um, Wim Hof, I don't know if you know who Wim Hof is. I'm, I'm very familiar. But he's familiar. the Iceman, right? Yep. So the Iceman and his ability to, you know, sit in ice for two hours and accomplish these feats or climb Mount Everest or scale Mount Everest uh, in nothing but bare chested and sandals and shorts. And these feats that are like, you know, not not like the most incredible things in the world, right? Not like, Oh, he, he lifted a semi truck or he, you know, I, it's not like the craziest things in the world, but they're almost like the most grueling things, like the most like uncomfortable things, right? Like sitting in ice for two hours is oof, like, they would just be just mess with your brain. Right. And just mess with your yeah. mind. So his ability to stay, in the present, in the moment, and be okay with this uncomfortableness, right? There's all these other things going around the world that he can't control. And he's putting himself in these moments where he's sitting in ice or in cold water, where there's nowhere you can go. There's nowhere you can escape from the cold water, right? So you're in it, and you just have to be okay with it. And it was like, that also flipped in my switch in my head that made me think about me worrying about all these things is something that are completely out of my control. So how can I put my mind into a place where I can control my thoughts and, and, and learn to be okay with everything that's going around around me and just be okay with the moment in, in the present. So I started doing some Wim Hof stuff to help with all of that. And uh, it's actually been pretty incredible results for me. Um, luckily I live by, a uh, couple awesome lakes and it was winter here. So I was going to the lake um, a couple days a week and I've been taking cold showers and his breathing exercises are incredible too. So if anybody out there listening feels any bit of anxiety, um, I would suggest looking into some Wim Hof because um, it's um, like I said, for someone that has a lot of outlets um, with motor riding motorcycles, I feel like a, a, a solid piece of meditation for me every every day. I still had those feelings of anxiety, and this is uh, that I found with Wim Hof has been pretty um, 
pretty, pretty life changing. Um, I don't think I'll ever stop taking cold showers for the rest of my life. It's it's amazing, and he Wim Hof uh, again, the Iceman. He has just such a simplistic way of putting it all. I mean, with like he's talking about all these things that have such massive effects, but really all it is is breathing and and cold water or cold like he, enduring the cold, mainly cold water and ice baths. But you can do this like what you said with a cold shower. You can find you know you could throw ice cubes in a bath. There's lots of ways to do it, and and I love that you you put that that it has helped so much with anxiety because I think everybody, you know, has found at least an elevated amount of anxiety through this past year. It's been, it's been stressful for, you know, a lot of people, pretty much the the global, I would say. And, um, yeah, I, I never really thought so much about it, but I've been taking cold showers regularly and also doing some Wim Hof. We've, it's not nearly as cold here. So, uh, but my pool, we've got a little stock tank pool and in the winter time when it would get cold enough to freeze over, which only was a handful of times throughout the winter, but I would break up the ice and, and just go and relax in there. And it, it, it really is that moment of clarity and you're fully very much aware of the current moment. And yeah, anybody out there, again, I totally just, uh, echo everything that you're saying, Colton, that if you have any anxiety, please check out Wim Hof, uh, you know, find your passion, whether it's riding motorcycles, whether it's going kayaking, whether it's cooking, uh, whatever it could be, find that passion and use that as an outlet as meditation as well. Um, Colton, this has been truly uh, an incredible interview and conversation. Thank you so very much for your time, your knowledge, your experience. For anybody out there who's listening who would like to follow you or possibly reach out and connect with you, what's the best way um, for someone to connect with you? Um, you know, Instagram, direct messages are definitely the easiest for me. Um, so at Colton Haker and... Um, yeah. Write me anything on there. Honestly, I just like talking to people. Um, love what you're doing, Nick. Uh, I love the podcast. Um, I feel honored to be on here. Um, especially after I just listened to a couple of really amazing people <laughs> the last couple episodes and, uh, those expectations in my mind were already arising. Cause I was like, Holy dude, had Jimmy Johnson on here. Like <laughs> what's going on? Like I gotta, I gotta follow up to this guy. Like, you know what I mean? So um no i appreciate it what you're doing is awesome um i'd love to be able to do uh, a similar thing but it's uh great to just be on here and talk with you to get it started and uh at least uh yeah get some outlet out there i think what you're doing is a good outlet for uh, a lot of um people so if anyone can check it out i'll do my best to share it and um get people to uh to latch on and check out what you're doing because it's impressive. It's, it's awesome. It's good awesome. to help people. And that's what you're doing. Thank, thanks so much, Colton. And, and just, uh, one of the, the final things that I like to do, uh, with, with every episode is I try to provide any value that I can. And so I would like to ask you, is there anything that you're focusing on right now that either I could help out with or possibly my listeners? Um, you know, I, I just really, I just want to be able to just reiterate the fact that um, I just like the people out there to just do and find their passion. You know, um, if they wrote me a message and said, yeah, you know, I, I have, you know, I found my passion or how can I find my passion or whatever, I'd be happy to talk to them uh, over, over direct messages and give any kind of advice or, or support. 
um, to anybody, honestly, to random people. Um, and in creating that relationship, um, those are how you, you have reciprocal relationships with people where maybe they would have something in return down the road. But I think as a, no matter what, um, if, if I can uh, offer any kind of help to anybody, then um, totally, totally willing to. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much, Colton. For all of our listeners out there, please, if you guys could um, tag us on Instagram, both uh, Colton and myself, and let us know what your passion is, it would be greatly appreciated. And also, if you guys want, take a, a screenshot of the podcast or wherever you're listening or viewing this and throw it up on social media as well, as that greatly just helps us share and spread this message as that's kind of my whole purpose with the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Colton, for joining us. I'm Nick Troutman signing off, wishing you all an awesome day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.